Thank you, John. Um, uh, good morning, everyone. My name is Hank. I'm one of the assistant ministers here, uh, primarily ministering with the 4 p.m. congregation that meets here uh, after you. Really great to be with you. Um, as I get ready and put my Bibles back to Psalm 102, would that be okay if I ask some of you at the back to stand up, have a bit of a stretch and walk down the aisle and fill up some of the empty rows here so that we have a more sense of gathering uh, instead of scattering this morning? That'd be okay if, if, if it doesn't bother you too much. Uh, for, for whatever reason, if, if you want to sit at the back uh, and th- that fits you, that, that's okay too. But if you wouldn't mind, that'd be very helpful. Thank you. And for the rest of us, if you can turn your Bibles to Psalm 102 with me, uh, we're going to spend some time looking at Psalm 102 as we... Uh, consider and think about um, what, how, and why of singing. So last week, we started a new series called Reason to Sing. And we learned that we Christians have a great reason to sing, don't we? Uh, Because God is worthy of a song. Uh, Singing is a form of praise, uh, mind you, not the only form of praise. Uh, However, it is good and appropriate form of praise. Uh, Even in human relationships, uh, it is natural to sing to someone we honor and love. Uh, I'm told that Jackie serenade Alice all the time, and I'm sure many of her husbands here too. You you, you sing to the person uh, and about the person that you love and honor. It's natural. It's the way God has built uh, the created order. Uh, How much more is God worthy of our song? Saved people gather, listen, and we sing. Uh, Because we have seen and tasted just how good God is, just how wonderful he is, just how powerful he is, just how wise he is, just how good he is, and just how much mercy you have received from him. And it's just difficult to keep that praise out of your heart and out of your lips. But as we speak about singing, and as we've been learning about this last week, I wonder whether some of you may wonder, yeah, I understand that God is worthy of our song, our praise. It's a wonderful thing, but what if I don't feel like singing? What if I'm sad? And singing is the last thing that is on my mind. I just cannot utter praise on my lips this morning. I wonder whether some of you have walked into church like that as we were singing song. And you just don't feel like singing. Because you're sad. Now, from time to time, all of us feel the weight of some sufferings or struggles of living in a fallen world. You know, there may be pain of sickness. Some of you may be sick this morning. The heartbreak of a broken relationship. The frustrations at work. Maybe you had a really difficult day at work. Your boss was giving you a really bad time pain of watching or experiencing natural disasters around the world, and not surprisingly, you don't feel like singing. You see, singing to God, praising God, and singing about God, uh, is again, in this fallen world, in our sinful nature, uh, it's not something that naturally happens automatically. Uh, Just like every other thing in Christian life, like praying, like evangelism, uh, like longing to gather together to hear God's word, 
like being hospitable to strangers. Uh, it's something that needs to be trained and taught. Right? We, we need to be taught, we need to be rebuked, uh, we need to be encouraged and comforted so that we will sing. And one book written for our instruction in this way is the book of Psalms. Uh, Psalms means praise in Hebrew. Did you know that? Uh, but intriguing, uh, this book of Psalms, the book of praise, consists many songs that are lament. In fact, uh, out of the 150 Psalms, 73 of them are lament either part or in whole. Uh, the Bible understands that we live in a world that is a difficult to sing God's praise. And it contains and consists of many songs to teach us, uh, to uh, minister to us, and change our affections as we struggle. Uh, the, the fact that 73 psalms are either parts or whole uh, lament is very counterintuitive to us, I think, and to our culture. Uh, in a book titled The Praise, uh, most of it is, about crying out to God about the painful reality of living in this fallen world. Uh, it's quite different to the practice of many contemporary Christian music uh, with vast majority of songs, and I think charismatic movements a bit like that, uh, all about being happy and jolly. Uh, in turn, we think about singing to God or praising God, uh, we think that that can only be expressed in happiness or so-called emotional high. You know, praising God. Must, I must feel high and fully happy and jolly all the time. Otherwise, I'm not praising God. Uh, I want to persuade you that that's not how the Bible speaks about praise. And that's not how the Bible speaks about the uh, praise that is accepted before God. The Psalms sing about, they actually sing about the pain of being mocked for trusting God. The Psalms sing about the fear of persecution. Fear of a uh, future uncertainty for trusting God. The Psalms sing about the regrets of one's own sin and its devastating consequences that one is experiencing in life. The Psalms sing about the fear of death and the grief of death and plead with God for his help. You see, we Christians have a reason to sing with joy, but our joy is not a shallow joy based on life going well. We don't sing instead of grief, but we sing in the midst of grief because God is that great. Uh, God is not someone whom uh, we can sing only in happiness, but God is so great that when we know and we see truly who he is, you can even sing in grief, in sadness, because he's greater than our sadness and greater than our grief. And now, uh, let's see how the psalmist teaches us to do that in one particular psalm. Out, out of 73 psalms, I kind of chose this psalm. It's a bit random in that sense, uh, but it really uh, uh, personally spoke to me and ministered to me. So let's have a look at it together. Psalm 102. Uh, is a prayer of one afflicted, as the heading tells us, right? It says, uh, when he is faint and pours out his complaint before the Lord. Uh, this psalm, uh, like all the other 150 psalms, it's a psalm of the Son of God. And I'm using that phrase deliberately. Uh, the phrase Son of God uh, uh, most fundamentally means one who trusts God. You are a son of God if you trust him. That, that's how the Old Testament uses the language. Uh, at the basic level, it means a believer. 
one who trusts God and one whom God has made covenant relationship with, like the King David. So David is uh, the son of God uh, par excellence in the Old Testament. In verses 1 to 11, the first section, the son of God, the believer, makes an urgent request to God. Look at verse 1 again. Hear my prayer, O Lord, let my cry come to you. Would you not hide your face from me in the day of my distress? Incline your ear to me, answer me speedily in the day when I call. He says, please don't cut me off. Don't let me cry out to you, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Don't forget me. Please answer me quickly. Because I don't have much to go on. I don't know how long I can survive. Please answer me now. Uh, What's happening with the Son of God? Why is he crying out so desperately? Uh, As he explains, the reason for his crying out with four in verse 3, we recognize a particular angle of misery that the psalmist is experiencing. Uh, it, it is the pain of transience, uh, things fading away. Look at verse 3. For because my days pass away like smoke. He says, my life is like a smoke in the wind that blows away in an instant. Haven't we all experienced the pain of transience in our lives, no matter how old you are? The Christmas season, the New Year festivity, so good and so fun, and you want your life to remain like that, but it doesn't, it just fades away. The good moments of life, we wish life could just remain like that. And some of you may look back, or only I could turn back life to be like it was, because that was good, and wish we could remain like that, but it doesn't, it fades away. Store in a bottle. Make sure life always stays with us in that good state. But it doesn't. Here the psalmist laments about the transience of his bodily strength, his health. His strength is passing away like smoke in the wind. My bones burn like a furnace. My heart is struck down like grass and has withered. Human lives are like that, isn't it? We describe people's death as he or she passed away. That's the greatest mystery of life, that, that uh, a being that, that interacts you, that talks with you, so warm and nice and comforting, one day here and passes away, almost like a wind. That sorrow, that grief, that transience, here today and gone tomorrow, the psalmist brings before God. And the psalmist, the son of God, is lonely and isolated. Look at verse 6. I am like a desert owl of the wilderness. Like an owl of the waste place, I lie awake. I'm like a lonely sparrow on this housetop. That's the picture of isolation and loneliness. Like a desert owl left in the wilderness all alone, the psalmist feels the heavy weight of grief. Have you experienced that in your life? Uh, then in verse 8, we, we are told that on top of that, there are enemies taunting him, taunting the Son of God in his lonely pain and grief. Verse 8, all the day my enemies taunt me. Those who deride me use my name for a curse. The enemies make fun of him. He saved others, but he cannot save himself. If you really are the Son of God, you believe in God, well, let God save him. Then we'll believe you. 
if he desires him, for he said, I am the son of God. His strength is fading. He feels lonely and isolated. His enemies taunt him. God seems far away, as if he has abandoned the Son of God. So Psalmist says in verse 11, My days are like an evening shadow. I wither away like cut grass. My days are like the evening shadow that simply disappears with the sunset. Right? You know that shadow that follows you around all day long, and as the sunset just disappears. Things fade in this world if you hadn't noticed or haven't thought about it, uh, but I, I doubt you haven't experienced it, even if you may not have given much thought to it. The world is not what it was meant to be. It, it is not what it's meant to be. Uh, the destructive power of sin and the domain of death brings misery to all living. Happiness in your life fades away. Your intellect will fade away as you get old. Your health fades away. Evil persists in the world. Sinners taunt God's people. Grief profound. That is the reality of the world under the judgment of God and the power of sin. And that's why Psalmist sings. And Psalmist brings that grief, unlike the unbelievers, just wallowing in self-pity, but he brings that grief to God. It's right and appropriate to express our grief to God. It's an expression of faith. Yet the psalmist does not end it. The Son of God does not end uh, with simply grieving over it. Look, uh, verse 12 signals a change. As the Son of God remembers God and his permanence. In the state of, in the grief of our transience, the Son of God lifts his eyes to God's permanence. Look at verse 12. But you, O Lord, are enthroned forever. You are remembered throughout all generations. Psalmist confesses, sings, human beings fade, human strength fails. Our days passes away like smoke, withers away like grass, but God is enthroned forever. He is unfading, He is permanent. Never forgotten. Uh, we humans, all of us, I think, desire to be remembered. Uh, you see, the human desire for permanence and being remembered in the sporting arena, I see that a lot. So I like sports and I watch it. You know, the NBA uh, analysts, they set up a, what, what's called Hall of Fame and kind of the elite people get inducted into it and they will be remembered forever. Their, their fame in, in that hall will never be surpassed. Your greatness, your achievement. But the truth of the matter is, they are forgotten. Records are there to be broken, as they say. Better players come, styles change, new generation comes. Who remembers? Uh, You know, June will be very shocked and appalled at this, but, you know, the new generation people at um, 4 p.m. congregation, not many of them even know Michael Jordan. They get forgotten, no matter how great they are. Then the psalmist moves from his lament of verse 1 to 11 to confident faith in God in verse 13. You will arise and have a pity on Zion. It is the time to favor her. The appointed time has come. The permanent God will stand up for Zion. 
That, that is, the people of God. Zion is the city of David. Uh, it, it, when God stands up for Zion, it's basically God standing up for David, uh, the son of God, the believer, people of God, who trust in God. Uh, their present circumstances are in ruins, as verse 14 reveals the original context of the psalmist and the Israelites. They, they are in an exile in the aftermath of the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. Jerusalem is decimated. Yet, psalmist says, and he sings, one day nations will come and worship God, and thereby the people of God will be upheld. Look at verse 15. The nations will feed the name of the Lord. And all the kings of the earth will fear your glory. For the Lord builds up Zion. He appears in his glory. God will give the Son of God unfading life. As the head of Zion, the people of God. Or in the New Testament terms, the church. Verse 15 is, is another confession. Uh, it's almost like in New Testament words. I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail. The psalmist praises the faithful and unfading God who answers his people's cry. Verse 18, let this be recorded for generations so that a people yet to be created may praise the Lord, that he looked down from his holy height from heaven. The Lord looked at the earth to hear the groans of the prisoners to set free those who are doomed to die. Uh, the Exodus illusion is hard to miss. Remember the Exodus? People of God were in slavery, groaning, and God looked at from heaven. God remembered them. God didn't forget them. The permanent God. Yeah, Abraham died, uh, no longer there. Uh, Isaac died. Jacob died. Even Joseph died. But God, the one enthroned in heaven forever, remembers them, remember his promise, and he stood up for them, and he will do so yet again for the Son of God and his people. But after the psalmist expresses the confidence in the uh, unfading God's rescue, he comes back to the present reality. The pain of fading strength, isolation and loneliness, the taunting of the enemies has not lifted immediately. In the following verses, in verse 23, uh, you see this teaches us once, uh, uh, that um, our struggle with pain and grief in this world does not transform sadness into joy in a simple linear fashion. It's as if you listen to this once and then you're, you're, all your sorrow is gone and you're just joyful. And you just go, no, uh, life has ups and downs. You, you're back to grief again. The pain of transience drags you back again. The, the grief of death drags you back again. Yet you lift your eyes again. You remember God, his permanence. You sing in the midst of grief. That's, that's how God, uh, how the Bible ministers to us. Uh, he comes to God, verse 20, He has broken my strength in mid-course. He has shortened my days. Oh my God, I say, take me not away in the midst of my days. You whose ears endure throughout all generations. Uh, you know, like the king Hezekiah in the Old Testament, who fell seriously ill in the mid-course of his life. The Son of God is cut off in the middle of his life. There is always something, I mean, every death is tragic, but there's always something more tragic about young people's death, right? The woman in her 20s, uh, uh, like the grief that we experienced with our dear sister V a couple of years ago. Uh, it's just not what it's meant to be. Uh, the man in his 40s, in 
the prime of his strength, like our dear brother John. That there's something more tragic about it. It's just not what it's meant to be. God, that's not what it's meant to be like. And we remember our Lord Jesus Christ, who was crucified at the ripe age of 30, in the prime of his years, at mid-course, without even having lived his life, taken away. Psalmist brings that grief to God. Uh, now, verses 25 to 28 is interesting. In the immediate context, it seems like a conclusion of a psalmist prays back to God again. You know? So, uh, grief, praise, grief, praise. Uh, but when we read the New Testament, the reading that John read for us earlier, and if you're paying attention when John was reading, and I'm sure you all have, uh, we learned that verses 25 to 28 is actually God's answer to the Son of God. It's actually now now God finally answering to the Son of God, the believer, the one who trusts God, the one who brings this grief to God in song and praise. God is answering him. And what does God say? Of old, you laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will all perish, but you will remain. They'll all wear out like a garment. You will change them like a robe, and they'll pass away. But you are the same. Your years have no end. The children of your servants shall dwell secure. Their offspring shall be established before you. What God is saying is God promises to the Son of God that he will not perish. He will remain. God will not let him simply pass away. He will not be cut off or forever forsaken. His ears will have no end. He will reign eternally. Now let's bring this together. Uh, Without even making it explicit, uh, as you are listening to this psalm, for those who have eyes to see, you see that the psalm psalm is first and foremost about the true, one true Son of God, Jesus Christ. There is no one who experienced the fading strength, being deserted by family and friends, people whom he healed and rescued, taunted by enemies like our Lord Jesus did. And there was also no one who trusted God in lament, in the midst of his grief, as he was dying, crucified, like our Lord Jesus. Even as his strength failed, he prayed, remember, yet not my will, but yours be done. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. I think as Jesus was saying those words, a lot of these lamenting psalms are the background. And deservedly, God has given him, the one true Son of God, the authority in heaven and on earth. And he now sits at God's right hand. Now, now if the psalm is primarily about Jesus Christ, then where do we fit in? How does this psalm minister to us in our pain and our sorrow? Well, look at verse 28. The children of your servants shall dwell secure. Their offspring shall be established before you. What we sing as children who are now united in Jesus Christ. Jesus is the head of the church, the Lord and Savior of all who trust him. And if you belong to Lord Jesus, you can sing this psalm in his name. 
as we bring our pain and our grief to God, in the words of the psalm, we are actually echoing the pain of pain that our Lord Jesus suffered for us. And as we praise God in lament, we echo and follow in the footsteps of our Savior who praised God in his suffering. We are being made in the likeness of Christ this way. And as we hear the promise of eternity from God to Jesus, we are also given the promise and assured of eternity. As we do this, in Jesus' name, God is giving us the same promise. They will perish, but you, Andrew, who are in Christ, you will remain. Uh, They will all wear out like a garment, but you, Johnny, you will change them like a robe. They will pass away. But you, Rusty, your years will have no end. You, Matt, you will remain. Do you see how the Psalms strengthen us in our weakness and fill us with joy even as we grieve? The Bible understands that there are times that we don't feel like singing, but as we bring those sadness and grief to God, and God has given us words to speak, because it is so hard, you know, when you're in that thick cloud of sadness and uncertainty and grief, hard to find words, right? Well, don't try to think of your own words. Use the words that God has given you. Now, let's draw some implications for singing, uh, our singing and music ministry today in light of uh, what we have learned and seen in Psalm 102. Uh, first is, I think, quite straightforward. Uh, let us sing the psalms more. Uh, again, I, I don't know whether you sing or pray the psalms much, whether accompanied by music or not. But God has given us these psalms so that we'll put them on our lips and praise him. These psalms are given so that it will help us and minister to us in our grief. The psalms ministers to us not only in the height of our emotions, but in the depth of our sadness. It is a God-ordained power to soothe, comfort, and even delight us in our grief, loneliness, pain, and fading strength. So the first implication is I think we need to sing the psalms more uh, in our gathering, uh, whether it be accompanied again by music or not. Uh, The declining use of the psalms in contemporary Christian gathering is, is a big loss, I think. The traditional Anglican services made sure uh, we pray the words of the psalm every time we gather. And not only the letters sing to the Lord in joy, but also the sad bit, like Psalm 102, uh, so so that the word of God, the psalms, can minister to us in all the facets of our life. Uh, uh, And relatedly, uh, I I hope you're persuaded by today that singing or praising God it's not all about feeling happy emotionally. I mean, if you feel happy as you sing, good on you, and bless God, praise God. But it doesn't have to be, and it's not the only expression of faith and hope in God. There is nothing wrong with being happy, but it is not primarily about feeling happy. We rejoice always, but often we rejoice in our sufferings as we wait for God to arise for us. Now, what all this means is that uh, 
it is okay for you to feel sad as you sing to God. Lament is a normal part of a Christian experience. But, but I want to encourage you, if that is you, do not simply remain in your grief. Okay? Do not let that be the end. Do not, do not, do not wallow in your self-pity or look back to the past. Oh, only if life could just be like that. It's not. It will all fade away. That, that's how God ordained it. That sort of goodness remaining, that, that's for heaven. We will experience that. God will give it to us. That's a new creation. So do not remain. It's okay to be grieving and bring it to God and express that, but do not remain in it. Bring your tears and cries to God in prayer as we sing together. And singing has a unique way of helping us process the emotional dimension of our pain right? and keep our eyes towards God. So let us sing to the Lord in our grief. Uh, third and finally, uh, uh, the implication, uh, much like our need to recover uh, singing more of the psalms, we could also sing more songs that teach us to pray and hope in God in the midst of our grief. Uh, unfortunately, songs of godly lament are hard to find among contempor- contemporary Christian music. Uh, why is that? I'm not sure. There may be complex factors, but again, uh, I think it may be that praise in contemporary Christian music is simply equated with being happy and on high. Uh, some of the older hymns does this better, and, and uh, our, our musicians uh, lead us in singing these songs sometimes. And uh, 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 one particular example uh, is a song written by Horatio Spafford. Uh, he was a wealthy and successful businessman, uh, but in 1870, the Spaffords suffered the tragic loss of their young son. Then on the 8th of October, 1871, uh, almost every property they had invested in was destroyed in the Great Chicago Fire. In 1873, Mrs. Spafford and their four daughters left on a boat for Europe, in part, to recuperate these tra- tra- uh, from these tragedies, but Horatio stayed behind as his business was still reeling from its terrible losses. Just a few days into the voyage, Stafford uh, received word that the ship had been involved in a collision, and while his wife survived, his all, f- uh, all of his four daughters uh, 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 were dead. In the aftermath of all of that, he wrote this hymn as he sought to bring his grief to God, as he sought uh, to rejoice in lament. Uh, and as, as, uh, uh, these are the words of the hymn, and I, I'm sure you'll all recognize it. When peace, like a river, attends my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my Lord, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, and it is well with my soul. You know, when you know the story behind and, and, and the context of a singing, uh, it ministers to you with a power that was unknown before, isn't it? Ever since I've known this background story, it was, it was very difficult to sing this song. I sing this song with fear and trembling. Uh, there are other examples also. One of my favorite modern songs in this regard is Rob Smith's uh, I'll Trust You in Darkness. Uh, Rob uh, wrote this song back in late uh, 2000, early 2001, as he watched his father uh, battle and eventually lose with leukemia. Uh, during the six months of his father's illness, Rob read through the book of Psalms several times, 
and composed uh, this. Uh, listen to the richness of these words. Uh, I think singing these sort of songs uh, more and incorporated in our gathering uh, will be good for us. L- uh, listen to these words. I will serve you in my pain. I will worship in the wilderness and I'll follow you to the end. For you are the suffering shepherd and you know your sheep by name. So I will trust you in the darkness once again. I'll believe your word of comfort when the light of life grows. I will heed your voice at midnight when the tempests raise within. I will cling to Christ my Savior who has borne my sorrow's sting. I will trust you in the darkness once again. O Lord Jesus, Savior, brother, and friend, come release us. Lord, come back today. These songs teach us to genuinely lament our sins, our sufferings, and thus ultimately deepen our longing and hope in God's kingdom. And therefore trust and praise his promises to us in Christ Jesus. Up, uh, This is what we have learned so far in the series. Uh, we sing as a form of praise and it is right and proper and good to praise God. Uh, if you're looking for one reason to uh, uh, sing, what well, God commands us to say about him and to him. God deserves our praise. That alone uh, is a good enough reason. We have tasted and seen how good God is. But also today we've learned that singing is a form of a prayer and it ministers to us in our grief, bringing our pain and cry for rescue as an expression of faith. Therefore, it strengthens our faith in our grief. And as we do so, we follow in the footsteps of our Lord Jesus, genuinely lamenting sin and sufferings in this world and eagerly awaiting God's kingdom. Let's pray. My days are like an evening shadow. I wither away like grass. But you, O Lord, are enthroned forever. You are remembered throughout all generations. You will arise and have pity on Zion. It is the time to favor her. The appointed time has come. Father, you are enthroned forever. We know you are yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Same forever, unchanging, unfading. And we trust in you, and we bring our pain and our grief unto you. Lord, please look upon your people and have mercy upon us for what our Lord Jesus Christ has done for us. Lord, we eagerly long and await and hope for your kingdom to come, for the new one, to see you face to face, and to uphold your glory in the company of the believers. So, Lord, please hear our prayers and fill our hearts with unfading trust in your promises of the kingdom of God once again this morning and establish us and root us and build us up as we wait for your coming. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.